0: Hey guys, welcome back to the Revive Stronger podcast. I'm your host, as always, Steve Hall, and today I have a fantastic roundtable discussion between Joe Jeffrey and Callum Raystrick. Both these guys are top bodybuilding coaches within the UK. They have many IFBB Pro cards to their names in terms of clients that they've helped go pro, and even pro wins and they're making their clients better overall. And I thought they would be excellent individuals to inquire about how do these pros train? What is their nutrition like? What are they doing that sets them apart from everyone else? Is there anything we can learn from them to better our own results? And also what are Joe and Callum doing to the pros or to their clients to get them pro? How are they elevating their own game? They're some of the best. How are they making them even better? And how can we learn as maybe evidence-based practitioners from the best, success leaves clues, of course, but also what are they using from the evidence to help make their pros even better? I just thought this was a fantastic, well-rounded discussion where we really got into the depth of this question because a lot of people make claims about how the pros do things and therefore how maybe we should do everything. And really we distill that question and get to a greater understanding of that topic. and the practical take-homes for you the trainers the coaches the listeners as a reminder guys this podcast only grows by your recommendation by your likes by your reviews and comments and shares so please make sure to share it and do all that good stuff So the podcast can reach as many ears as possible and it can be as big and as popular as possible We appreciate it big time each and every one of you. Thank you every time you do that If it's sharing over on instagram definitely tag us. I reply to every individual that does that I appreciate every single one of you. So thank you once again, but without further ado Let's get into the fantastic discussion with the guys Hi guys, welcome back to the Revive Stronger Podcast. I'm your host, as always, Steve Hall. And today I have Joe Jeffrey back on the show and I've got Callum Raystrick as well. Uh, This is Joe's third time on the podcast. If if you don't know who Joe is and maybe Callum's brought you here and you haven't been at the Revive Stronger Podcast before, which would be amazing if you're now a new listener. Uh, But you probably know Joe if you know Callum, uh, vice versa, actually, to be honest. Uh, They're both top UK coaches and that's why they're on the show today. But Joe himself, a high-level bodybuilding coach, educator with the Physique Collective, I uh, hope you guys have heard uh, the episodes with him before. If not, tune into those. Callum, for those who aren't aware of him, I-, I first came across Callum years ago through the Muscle Mentors, probably was how I kind of first really kind of got into his work and their work as a whole. He's now a team pro coach and uh, just like some accolades because uh, they're on his Instagram profile. He has 17 IFBB pro card wins to his name, two IFBB pro card, pro wins, sorry. Um, so pro wins. 347 top threes, 178 firsts, 49 overall wins. So just like huge numbers. Like that's a huge number of just clients in general to have worked with, let alone kind of having top accolades as well. And I know Joe equally has had some really, really uh, great results with his clients, you know, uh, which is why I have them on today. The reason
1: why I don't put my accolades in the Instagram bio is because- Too many. It, <laughs> it limits you on number of characters. <laughs> and, you know, I don't want to have to just pick the top-
0: 1,000, you know. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's totally fair enough. It's the same for me, Joe. So, uh, yeah. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, the the reason I wanted to get these guys on is uh, they're quite literally training the pros and people to become pro. And they're in the thick of kind of uh, the, the top end of bodybuilding as far as I'm concerned. Uh, there's two of the top coaches for bodybuilding within the UK. And a lot of people like to make claims about what the pros are doing when it comes to their training their diet so i thought it would be great to have them on to really hear kind of a a well-rounded perspective of how People really going about their business uh, rather than kind of just this like anecdotal hearsay. And it hopefully will give us some really, really great take-homes, I think. So maybe starting with yourself, Callum. Um, is there a general theme to how you see like the the pros tend to train? Um, is is there like a like this is the protocol that they follow, or how, how do you v- if I ask you that question, what kind of springs to mind?
2: Um, I think uh probably the best way of understanding that having Either taking people from grassroots and turn them pro or to take clients that have come in and inquired that are already pro that have been competing for a while or even like very seasoned competitors that have been at the at the the top level. I think the biggest thing to understand there is the deeper you go and the more experienced they are and the more skin they have in the game, the more dogmatic they are in their own ways and they know things that work and they know things that don't work for them and i think when you get to that level there is more to the skill of coaching than just this is the optimal way of doing it and this is how we're going to work because you know i've been there before where i've tried to force methods on what i feel is that is optimal on people that aren't willing to adapt and and change and evolve and it, it, it ends up in in something that doesn't work from a from a coaching relationship. So I think the biggest thing to understand there, and what you said before um, in terms of you listen to that podcast about Phil Heath, it's like we read this stuff in magazines, we read this stuff on Instagram. If you look at the, the top 10 at the Olympia in any of those categories, they've all got their own unique spin of how they like to do things. And how Joe coaches his athletes and how I coach my athletes and, and how you coach your athletes are all going to be, you know unique in some aspects but there are fundamentals that are the same in all the areas that we're doing and and the the kind of core core components of that so i think from a from an elite level standpoint there's no like magic or or secret behind that wall from amateur to pro it's more so just the fact that they find a framework that they enjoy that they can do for a long period of time and stick to and progress and they stick to that framework is is probably the best way i could say if that makes sense
0: It makes tons of sense and for those unaware it was a modern wisdom podcast he interviewed phil heath over there and i was just talking about how i never really heard about how phil trained and uh, it's just so contrasting maybe to maybe like a dorian yates i mean it sounded like phil heath was much more volume and kind of higher reps and short rest periods and things like this and uh, i think actually you touched on a really cool point which i think joe will probably really agree with is like the fact that when you're, and I've experienced it, I don't work with clients at the same level as what you guys do who maybe are as far in their careers. So I don't, I haven't come across it so much. But recently I have, uh, as you progress in your career, you tend to attract kind of higher level people. I've noticed they already come in with like a clear, clear set of guidelines of almost like their programming, how they like things set up. And it's quite hard because I'm used to just being like fresh slate Let's program everything, ever think. And I know I can't do that with them because if I do that, they're just, they are run away because they'll be like, hey, this is just so different to what I'm used to. So you kind of have to meet them and try and mold them because there's things they can learn from you. There's a reason they got you as a coach. Uh, mm. So Joe, Joe, have you got anything you'd like to add there that Callum said?
1: Yeah, I think like just assessing the kind of environment, the landscape across all pros, there's there's great into individual considerations between circumstances. Like for example, high level pro that has always had the genetic capacity to be there and got there you know regional pro qualifier pro winning pro shows those people exist versus somebody that's been working towards the pro card and just scraped it on a lucky show after eight years of training there's going to be a very different kind of feedback mechanism for them and but you know even within those really high level pros there's a dichotomy that exists there where on the one hand, and, and in many cases this is true, they they look the way they do in spite of what they do. You know, that there's a there's a lot of that. But then at the same time, a lot of these people that I've worked with or consulted with, they've got some of the best biofeedback on auto-regulation, on stimulus to fatigue ratio of specific exercises. And I think that's part of the genetic makeup that makes a great pro, even subconsciously having such a good hold on their own stimulus to fatigue ratio with a variety of exercises and things like that, you know, that they're so neurally adept just by accident is extremely interesting. But that's one thing that seems more unique to pros, you know, that just innate ability to auto-regulate intelligently. But sometimes you have to do a bit of digging to find that, you know, a pro will say, I'd I'd never do any deloads. Not, Not any pro, but, you know, it's something that that they'd say and then it turns out that they do have kind of recovery sessions or you know they'll have a week off when they're finna beat up maybe they don't use the term deload or they'll say things like yeah i always train to failure and then you'll look at the training and it'll you know the reps may slow down a bit you know and they or they accidentally progressively overload because they go oh this feels easy now i'm just going to do the next one up the rack and you know and so on and so forth so sometimes there's a bit of digging involved but there's that very interesting dichotomy on just innate almost accidental behaviors that when it comes to coaching it has to be something that you pay attention to you know
0: yeah that makes loads of sense and actually it's funny you spoke about sfr and like deloads and things like this and i know uh speaking of phil heath again he he didn't say sfr of course he didn't say stimulus to fatigue ratio but he said something along the lines of like i'm looking for things that are going to give me a really great kind of stimulus within the muscle, but aren't going to really beat up my joints and connective tissues, which is essentially kind of SFR. And I think that's it's not like a genius, obviously Dr. Mike kind of uh, invented the word or put a, a saying towards, a ratio towards something that every bodybuilder thinks about. But clearly these guys are thinking about those things at high levels. Yeah. I don't know if Cal, like you've got any additional thoughts on like this, uh, the idea of, I guess, fatigue management maybe not needing it so much deloads uh, are they things you use with your clients do you call them a deload Um, have people come to you and they sit there like hey i don't deload and you're like actually it looks like you do you kind of reduce your free training frequency or volume you you do something to kind of reduce the training stress
2: yeah um i whatever you want to package that up with in terms of terminology i think the um the underlying thing for me is just taking it as we move and i'll, I'll map out a, a you know a time frame that we're working with i'll map out a timeline for whether it's an off season or a prep and then the communication that we have on a week-to-week basis will kind of govern as joe said an auto-regulative way of pulling back based on feedback each week and if i feel as though in a certain time within that timeline that things are slowing down in terms of response or we'll give it we're, we're seeing feedback where the body is starting to overreach or or pull back a little bit in terms of recovery, then we can just action those things ahead. And nine times out of ten for people that, that will come through it will be, you know, depending on where they are within a given process and the proximity to say the end of an off season or or a contest prep or even stage maybe that's a moving target in a contest prep in the first place but there might be times where i'll pull someone out of the gym completely just to give them full a full physical and psychological reset if i feel as though it is quite severe in terms of the position they're in ideally we wouldn't be there but it happens Um, or I'll just play around with the, with the volume and the proximity to failure within that session. And I'll just have them, whether it's like an ongoing rotation or a week, you know, Monday to Sunday schedule that they're doing, they'll have a certain amount of sessions within that check-in week where I'll say, look, these are, these are the guidelines for the outcome of these sessions. And I want you to pull back on, on, on X sessions to allow for a better outcome when I next see you on your next updates in terms of fatigue. So I think whether people label it as a D load or a D volume or whatever you want to call it it happens instinctually sometimes it might be like a pro has a week off after they've competed and then they have two holidays in the off season where they don't train it's like well that's 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 your programming that's 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 you know that's how you're approaching things there's just no label on it um so i think like you said the the more advanced you are and the longer you've been training like phil said in terms of stimulus to fatigue and he knows what works for him even though it's maybe a little bit subconscious for what You'd see like Mike Isretel saying what these things are. He kind of does it all to, you know, by default, just without
0: really knowing what he's doing. Yeah, I think there's an element of that bodybuilder intuition. Uh, A lot of the science is driven by bodybuilders' intuition of like what they've seen working, then we put it to the Mm. test as best we can. And a lot of the time, the bodybuilders get it right. They don't always get it right, um, or at least the, the the research doesn't tend to always uh, show that they do. But I think that's that's a great way of putting it in terms of labels, because I know I was listening back to because I asked uh, John Dewitt a long time ago now, like how do the pros train? I was listening back to it, and he was just like, hey. Some people, it's kind of like you said, Joe, people don't like labels of maybe they don't like the label of a D-load. They don't like the label of having reps in reserve because it's part of their identity is they train hard and they kind of perceive reps in reserve as, as not doing that. And it's kind of hard when people are like that, because then it's like, hey, so what term can I give you here? And I know Joe, you've probably had a lot of experience kind of uh, educating your clients and getting them to accept that, hey, Ultimately, what I'm doing as your coach is trying to get you to be your biggest and best self. Everything programmed here is that. I'm not trying to like, like make you pull
1: back and become worse. Yeah, and I think what's been really interesting as I've coached more pros and consulted with more pros is when people do have a label that they enjoy, like demographic, demographically, this is quite suitable. You know, in the UK, a lot of pro bodybuilders like to use the phrase like low volume or high intensity, whereas more US-based pros might have erred in the tradition of what I trained of high volume. And then when you get the programming through that they're doing, it's unbelievably similar. And again, somewhat nailing the mid-range of what we now understand to be like evidence-based recommendations. Pretty much everyone is training somewhere in three to naught, at least definitely two to naught reps in reserve. Pretty much everyone's training somewhere from... I'd say 10 to 20, but most definitely averaging like 16 sets per body part per week. And everyone eventually takes a deload because you plan it or you'll be deloaded by some other virtue, you know, and, and you look at it and go, ah, oh, you know, it's all pretty similar. Um, but that comes back to the expectations as well. I think, and I don't want to speak for all in the evidence-based crowd, but I think they might look at pros train and think, oh, I imagine if they did this or, know if they did like how much better would they be but realistically and and again i'm talking about when i'm when i'm using the term pros here i'm talking about super genetically gifted athletes because there's all kind of pros now not to say there's no there's bad pros or something like this but if we're talking about olympia caliber just by kind of doing anything you know looking at a dumbbell you turn it like to nine out of ten you know and and then this kind of process of refinement to a very low magnitude seems to occur like what's happened to nick walker for example over the last year you know he never tracked his training or anything like that but now he's training extremely diligently and he hasn't added like 60 pounds of muscle or something like that but he's improved that slight magnitude but that is what makes the difference at the pro level when you stood up with guys that are also incredibly blessed to their response to everything every vector that we control in bodybuilding that slight tweak does make a difference but again with the caveat those evidence-based principles don't always anecdotally apply to somebody with that much tissue or experience
0: yeah it's kind of similar to what you're saying in the like can grow despite what they're doing and Maybe there's some sprinkles here from the evidence-based area that can help enhance some of those results or enhance longevity. Maybe they won't be as beat up once they've kind of retired or what have you. Maybe that will help. Uh, Callum, with with your guys, is there anything you mentioned, obviously, you have to kind of meet them where they're at in terms of their approach. Is there anything you generally try and tweak to get a little bit more out of someone's training?
2: Um, yeah, so like f- first things first, I think regardless of the programming in terms of how they're packaging that up the biggest thing when people are a little bit set in their ways in terms of um their approach i think if they're a massively like the reason why they've come to you is to is to get better so if there's an off-season phase or a contest prep let's break that down in terms of what's actually happening front to back side to side in terms of the actual physique and nine times out of ten you can see the weaknesses in their shots and how they're losing on stage relative to how they're setting up their training or how they're approaching their training in the first place and that might just be as simple as we're not biasing enough workload or volume on x amount of uh, of tissues because they're just doing like a one day a week bro bro split for the last five years but they've got huge arms and they've got very poor legs and they're only training legs once a week with with a with a with a too little amount of volume in terms of total exposure there nine times out of ten i think a bodybuilder gets better when they start placing more focus on how they're training as opposed to how they're setting up their training in the first place. And I think the more advanced you get, the the it's quite shocking how poor that level of uh, execution in terms of quality is in some cases in terms of how they're actually approaching each set in the first place. Because like Joe said, some people in those situations, you could look at a weight and you'll grow. And because they've done that from an amateur they've never really changed what they've been doing in the gym because it's always worked but you are going to get to a point where you've turned pro and now you're trying to win a pro show or you know you're trying to qualify for the olympia or now you're trying to get first call out of the olympia or even the second call out of the olympia you're in a position where those one percent really really do count and at that point The biggest thing for me, before I even look at the programming in terms of how they're setting things up and getting funky with that is just how they're actually approaching each rep and each set in the gym. Because nine times out of 10, if there is a glaring weakness there, if you take them through a workout and you just watch them train, you can pretty much immediately say, right, well, that needs to change. This needs to tweak. That needs to change. You need to slow that down. You need to... and that is that is where I'd start if that makes sense. So it's a little bit harder when it's online, but you can still get video analysis or people will travel to you and train you know local to you and you can get hands-on. and then once that's nailed, then we can kind of build and mold everything else around it. It's
0: kind of setting that foundation of execution technique so that they are getting more from the the movements they're doing or even I guess introducing movements that they haven't done before to target areas or muscular mus- musculature that they haven't been
1: uh, nailing before. Yeah, I think Cal touched on something there that I would put right at the top of the tree of importance for pros that I've taken on as new clients. One word, specificity, is everything mm. in a pro. And there's some interesting kind of roads of discussion you can go down on this one. I mean, firstly, the importance of specificity as such. Let's say in an open bodybuilder, their focus has just been on systemically growing in 90%. To 95% of cases, now we might need some specific refinement. Yes, it might take away your growth potential from elsewhere, but you'll be improving the stage physique. Where this really, really is important is classic competitors working into a cap. You know, how can we hit the cap with the physique that most closely fits the criteria? That's heavy specificity. And and that may and has in my coaching involved losing size purposely off of some places. I've had clients that have trained below maintenance volume on the quads, for example, with specificity on the delts or the clavicular pec or the lats or something like that, because we've only got this much space, you know, and the the interesting road to travel, I think you like this one, Steve, is when you look at two things. So the inter-individual relationship between volume per body part that is stimulative, like I've had quite a few guys that will have, excellent responses to quite low volume through the quads or something like this let's say they train everything with eight sets for body part per week for the quads it's more than sufficient and they've seen really robust growth there for the delts for the arms maybe for the back or something like that it hasn't grown at the same rate and that's where that specificity of volume adjustment can come in and make a really cool change and even outside of the inter-individual response to volume as cal said when you look at the execution some things i've noticed and this is the part that I think you'll like, Steve, is where a lot of these guys accidentally train in deep lengthen ranges for body parts. Like the back is the most obvious one. You know, when I watch some of these guys that have crazy back, not a pro, but immediately comes to mind, Nath Heckles. He, he doesn't specifically train with length and partials or something like this, but ever watch him train his back, it's like spinal flexion, the nastiest stretch you can get. And he probably does about 40 to 50%. Range of motion, by far, strongest body part. Other body parts weren't the same, you know. So like, ah, you, you, now I see where where this has come from. You know, you, you're accessing the most hypertrophic part of the range there, just by feel. But that's correct. But now we need to apply those principles elsewhere.
0: Yeah, I think that makes a lot of sense, and I think that's probably where you can see the research being complementary to maybe some of what the pros are already doing. Where it's like, hey, the length and range is clearly very hypertrophic if you aren't like using that like this guy's doing that but maybe you're strictly doing pull downs all the way to your chest every time and you're just doing dumbbell lateral raises it's like hey there's there's Mm. some improvements you can make here that we can learn from some of this research that's coming out and we can again have those sprinkles which make you even better is there anything you guys see that we can learn as individuals who are maybe more in the evidence-based camp is there more and people who aren't pros yet who can learn from what pros are doing is there like People like to use the term like success leaves clues. Is there things that the, the pros are inherently are they ahead of the curve? Like are there things are there reasons they're pro despite their genetics and everything like that? Is there things that they're inherently doing better than everyone else? Uh, is there things that we can learn there and, and what might those be? Don't know who wants to head that first. Joe, you got something?
1: I'm I'm happy to go. Yeah, I don't want to talk over you, Cal. Um, no go from At the risk of creating a dogmatic stereotype for both evidence-based, you know, I don't want to sit here and paint evidence-based individuals to be like dweebs, like Pee Wee Herman, mum's basement reading PubMed. At the same time, I don't want to paint every pro to be this, like, ultimate wizard of muscle that's 400 pounds or something, you know. (laughs) But there are still some of the stereotypes that exist, like effort is a big one, you know, and I don't think this happens frequently. But if you are falling into the trap of, OK, I know that four reps in reserve, maybe three reps in reserve by the literature offers a potent hypertrophy response, but you've never trained to failure in your life and you're actually accidentally going to like six or seven reps in reserve. I, I'm not saying it's a common occurrence, but it, it could happen You know, if you never take any of your mesocycle to zero hour hour. In fact, as an interjection, I, I find amongst like pro bodybuilder types, meathead types, and I'll put myself in that category. I'm still a meathead at heart. The, the big like, argument against, like, reps in reserve is rubbish is the misunderstanding that people that use reps in reserve would never ta- train to failure, whereas all of my clients will spend, you know, at least a quarter of their mesocycle training to volitional failure, zero RR. Um, and the most interesting thing is the inter-individual difference in the response from training frequency for me. You know, uh, th- there are pros. I know these people that will train with a bro split with moderate per session volumes and have stimulus proxy data that indicates adaptation until the next time they train it, a week later. Those people do exist, so it's not like, right, for every man, woman, and child and their pets, two to three times a week for everything, four times a week for the delts. Specificity on the individual comes back in. So yeah, evidence does point towards that being the most productive frequency of body part training but there's always great variability in that data. And that seems to exist more so in the pros because of how good they are genetically. They can get a supreme growth response from little work with little frequency.
0: Yeah, I think that makes a lot of sense. Yeah, because it's almost like, again... Uh, when we all started maybe you're looking at flex magazine and you're seeing whatever the the current top pro is in there and you try and copy that program it's like yeah this is going to make me them it's like hey no that's like very specific to their individual needs you're a completely different individual at this point Mm -hmm. but the kind of principle that you've drawn there is and you've talked about inter individual variability a ton which i think is super valuable actually and why like you can't just say hey the pros train this way because every pro is slightly different for a for good reason uh, but the kind of the, the principle you were like pinned on there is effort. Like if you start removing effort from like the paradigm of training of hypertrophy, you, you're losing. Cause it literally like the stress response is what is required to kind of ignite hypertrophy to, or adaptation to have to occur. Is that the same for you Callum? Is that like the effort? Do you think that's something that people maybe can miss or the, the kind of the biggest thing that we can learn from a, like every pro
2: yeah, I, I think that you know out of those um I think the I think last weekend was seven there's like 17 amateurs to pros that have turned pro in that individual process over the last like two years. So out of that seventeen, every single one of those individuals took a huge leap in individual progress when and Joe and Joe mentioned the word effort. But that can be applied on any aspect of bodybuilding, and that that's applied in terms of. And people say, like, do the one percent matter? Do this? Does this matter? But when you've maxed out what you can be, when you're being, you know, ninety percent, every single one of those seventeen individuals took the took the next step when they started being obsessive about nailing everything, sleep nutrition the quality of nutrition you know does meal timing work does it not your schedule works your sleep schedule you know everything down to the finest tea of every single day of the process and the effort side of things goes into training massively in terms of their ability to take themselves to where they need to take them in the training sessions that you're programming or their own programming themselves where they can take those working sets where they can spend time with the level of tension they're placing on tissue and even doing that on the days where they don't really feel like doing it sometimes, whether it's in prep or in off-season where things are getting challenging and they're having to push past volume set points or loading set points that are very uncomfortable to do consistently over and over again. I think the biggest thing to understand with the pros is they've just spent a period of time in their career where they've really knuckled down and focused on nailing absolutely everything. And that's where you see these massive spurts in progress. And you look at the likes of, you know, why do people go to, um you know, besides the PEDs, because these guys at this level have all done it before anyway, why do people go to Oxygen Gym or they went to Oxygen Gym a couple of years ago? It's, it's, it's not because they're, they're getting this secret protocol. It's because they're sleeping like babies at night. They're getting all their meals made for them. They're going through two workouts a day where they have a full-time personal trainer that's taking them through two workouts a day. Every rep spotted, every rep perfected, although sometimes it looks terrible, but that's the nuance of execution in the first place. But like the the point being, effort across the board in all aspects of bodybuilding, when that's refined and intensified, accelerates progress massively. And the irony is, for these people that excel and turn pro and qualify for the Olympia, the, the points in their career where they excel the most are just simply the points in their career where they knuckle down and just focus on not missing any aspect of the process.
3: Do you not see the progress you would like? Are you sick of writing your own programs? Or perhaps you need some accountability in order to stick with a the plan? Then. get the most out of your time and the best possible outcome. We help both female and male athletes to seriously change their body composition by adding more muscle mass and decreasing fat tissue. No matter if you're a competitive bodybuilder or just want to look better, if you need help with your progress and taking your physique to the next level, our coaching is for you. It's time to make a change. Sign up today and let's revive stronger.
0: Yeah, I I love that and I love the, yeah, kind of, It's not just effort within training, it's effort within the diet, within the recovery, within every aspect that they can nail. They're being like a professional ahead of time almost it's like if you want to grow your business like we're all have our own businesses that when they flourish the most it's probably when you've nailed everything you're consistent if you want on your instagram page to grow you can't like just like post a willy-nilly every now and then but if you have like I you don't know a growth strategy not to say i have that and i don't know if you guys have that but i doubt you do but if we did maybe it would uh, like see a spurt of growth because now it's like hey, specificity towards what would allow this page to grow the best and i, I love that and i think that is something that is often missed people are looking for a silver bullet it's like, hey, what are the pros doing? What are the secrets that they have that I don't have? It's like, hey, like it, there isn't necessarily something specific. It's just everything. They're just nailing everything more consistently for longer than you are. At least that's my take home from what you're kind of saying there. And no, I, think I think that's where people can
1: get lost. Sorry, Steve, I don't mean to. No, it's all right. If I could just interject a useful point here as well. So when pros make the best progress, like Hal said, is when. Effort and adherence to every vector that improves physique development is at 100%. But that's within the realms of the amount that they need to do to get maximum outcomes from every one of these vectors. And as we know across the board, calorie surplus or training volume or proximity to failure or total drug load that they're taking, there's an inverted U response. And that is going to be so variable between individuals. So it, it might not have great utility for somebody watching this to say, okay, I need to be 100% effort and adherence to as much as I can do, or the pro is doing more than... me. the easy argument is the drug thing. And I hate to be that guy, because I like to be honest and realistic with this stuff. That's the whole of what Physique Collective is. But, you know, you might need 2,000 milligrams, 3,000 milligrams of androgens to get what the pro gets off 200. Legitimately, the response is that variable. And that's, you know, shown in the basin data. The famous study... Up to 600 milligram exposure if you look at some of the the graphics the figures on there god the, the range is hilarious i mean there was even a guy on the 600 milligram group that didn't grow you know so that that was me um and it's, it's the same with with training volume you know i've got clients legit one set of quads twice a week overlapping saunas crazy bum we can't get over that they they'd overreach on that you know you steve i know you work hard on your quads what do you get up to 14, 16 sets a week by the end of a meso, something like that. Yeah,
0: it can happen. Three times a week training them.
1: Exactly. So it's a hundred percent effort and adherence to what you can measurably maximize progression now, but you also can't live there. There has to be some fatigue, health management, things like that. For example, I um I worked with James Hollinshead this year. I can say this now because he put it on his YouTube. Um, for his health, he had some issues with his blood work, he had some issues with an echocardiogram. Thankfully, got that all sorted now. He's in great place. He's able to go and get prepped by Milos. Awesome. But, you know, I was digging through his prior drug exposure. And again, I can say this because he put it on his YouTube. And everyone will say that he's lying about this. Because it was like, if I remember correctly, it might be just under a gram. Maybe just over a gram. Everyone's going to see that and go, there's no fucking way. Now, why would he send that to me when I'm providing a service and it's a private conversation? because this was months ago, recently put it out on his YouTube. Hey, look, you know, it's easy to look at that and be like, that's bullshit. It's also easy to look at that and be like, that's what I need to look like, James Holland said. Most people, <laughs> you're going to be two to three grams and you look half like James does. Same thing with all of these vectors. So it, sorry for the ramble there, but there is 100% effort and adherence, but you have to be aware of the inverted U and it takes time. This is where we're back to that. Um, pro's having a really good innate, auto-regulation ability. Oh, when I take more than 400 milligrams of tests, this happens. Oh, I tried training like this and, and this happened. It might disagree with what evidence-based data suggests is optimal right now, but it's fantastic feedback for the individual.
0: I think that was really well said. Again, it's funny, bringing it back to the Phil Heath um, interview, he said something along the line, I think he said, I don't know like how big of a deal this is. He was like, I never use insulin. And he was like, that will blow people's minds. I never use insulin. And I was like, Mr. Olympia, however
1: many times. Yeah, and, and- it's probably true, and I guarantee if you went to that modern wisdom YouTube, look through the comments. 95% of them are going to be doing this. There's no way. I'm sure Phil never had to use insulin. I'm sure Phil could get away with like a gram of androgens and be. I mean, because what was he on stage? He wasn't like the biggest dude, was it like maybe 240, 250 at the O and mm. looked like that? That doesn't mean he's lying. I mean, it might be. I don't know. Um, but for, for mere mortals. Going to happen, yeah. no. So I think
0: what you said there again is that individual component you're 100% F- F- uh, executing the effort towards what you need to do as a specific person, you're not just carbon copying whatever individual you're trying to kind of look like. And, yeah, something I was thinking within that column that you described is do you ever see people who are they have this kind of maybe they've listened to this podcast or they're aware of you and kind of the information you put out and they, they know they need to put an effort. Do you ever have to draw people back ever because they are like their own worst enemy or they're doing things that are, you talked about 1%. Is there ever a time where people are like trying to like tick off every box that possibly ever could be? And you're like, Hey, actually we need Like you'll, you'll get more from actually doing less almost here or you need to like pull back. 100% yeah it can go it can go the other other way at the end of the spectrum badly in terms of
2: creating too much internal dialogue and creating more stress than than is required and i think my my coaching now in terms of what i focus on is probably the most simplified it's ever been because through doing this you know over and over again you kind of get an indication of right, what, what do I need to track and what do I need to take an observation over? And then we need to consistently do that. And then what leads to the outcomes that we want to try and drive in, in the future. And especially, you know, online now where we're working with overseas clients, where we're working with people that don't speak very good English, working with people that, you know, use Google Translate to send check-ins. Like you can't go in, go knee deep in, you know, a Google Drive tracker with these individuals. It's on WhatsApp. It's on a, it's on a, it's on a word document that's made into a PDF that needs to be very simplified. And the more you do that, you sit back and go, oh, hang on a minute. You know, this this guy's turned pro on a diet plan that's not counted in a single macro. It's just adjusting food up and down and it's adjusting output up and down. So I think the simplification of bodybuilding is important because when we're in a world of aura rings and whoop straps and sleep data tracking, et cetera, if you do have that kind of more fixated hypochondriac type personality it it probably can backfire a little bit when you go a little bit too nitty-gritty in terms of perfecting
0: the one sense have you seen the same with that joe
1: yeah and to take it from a different angle the uh because you mentioned steve about doing too much and needing to pull back the more pros i've worked with and especially the more muscular or the more experienced the pro the more of a role fatigue management plays, if not the most important role, especially in a prep. You know, as an evidence-based practitioner, you can't read through the literature on refeeds, for example, and apply that to a super heavyweight bodybuilder. You know, we could sit and say, yeah, the, the metabolic benefit isn't great, you know, which, which is true, especially in enhanced individuals that are supporting their thyroidal axis and things like that. But man, if you've ever prepped a super heavyweight and you've seen how quick they can get flat and what happens to the look and how long it takes to fix that, you can't you know you, you learn everything. or how much they need to refeed you know in grams per kilogram of carbohydrate for how long what effect that has on the physique fatigue can eliminate these guys quickly and there's not unfortunately there's not great data or any data on super heavyweight bodybuilders and the necessity to refeed and you know and this this is again across all vectors training volume sleep management stress management and there are built-in behaviors in these individuals where they'll go out and get additional steps or do a bit more cardio or take a bit more of this drug. and You know, eventually you can see it happening and you'll, you dig into them a bit on your conversations and eventually they'll admit it. Um, but fatigue management for sure, more so than any other clients that I've worked with pros, that's the, the focal point that needs very careful management and it's highly auto regulatory as well. We can't say we're going to do it 10 day, uh, Deficit, two-day refeed or something like this. It has to be consistent analysis.
0: Are you assessing that via biofeedback and photos mostly? When yes, you're so where
1: it can get a little bit esoteric, and I almost feel like a fraud saying things like this, but it is a look-based input for the most part. And if you've looked at the client for long enough, you can really see... And it can be displayed in weight trend, of course, if the rate of loss just starts going crazy over 1%, especially over 2% per week or something like that. If training performance is diving off a cliff, yes, certainly. But a lot of these guys are mentally resilient enough to get in the gym and progress anyway. They can generate that sympathetic drive that it doesn't matter what the fuck's going on. They're progressing anyway. You know, things like this. Or they'll edge the conversation towards lots of weight off equals good. You know so a lot of it is analysis of the look where it becomes a little bit esoteric because it's not easy to measure that as a data format if that makes sense but it is quite easy to see on those much bigger guys when that occurs
0: yeah it sounds like because i guess for a lot of these guys to get to the point where they've got to with their physiques like effort has to be there they have to be willing to push themselves harder than a lot of other people might because they're creating that stress to cause the adaptation to grow and keep doing that. But it's like the the thing that maybe levels them up that you guys are kind of touching upon, I guess the execution is part of this too, is almost that just refinement, that slight pulling back, that fatigue management role because they can push themselves to no end. It's like, hey, but you can push yourself into a hole and then the physique isn't going to be looking at its best. So it's that that's where you guys, it sounds like are coming in and being able to make them better. They can get really good with just great effort but if they want that next level they need to be able to know when to pull back when to push forward would that be fair mm. there's yeah. there's there's probably two two situations that that you'll see in this
2: situation in that realm where you're going to have the individual that comes to you that and taking into consideration the 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 pharmaceutical side of things you can have in the individual that comes to you that's nailed absolutely everything they're shit hot on their recovery. They're shit hot on their nutrition, their sleep, the training, the programming. Solid. You're reading a consult form. You're being like, this guy's got you know got it sorted. He just needs he just needs an objective eye that guides him and he can take stress off himself. And that individual, nine times out of ten, is for them to get to the next level. Their drug use hasn't been sufficient for them to make the progress they need to make, and they've got everything else under wraps. And they just need to be a little bit more aggressive and have a little bit more of a skewed risk reward balance in terms of what they're doing with application there for that period of time. And you're going to have the other end of the spectrum that is the over user where you look at their milligram per week on a consult form and you look at their physique and you're like, how does that even add up? And that's the individual where there are loads of weaknesses and flaws in what they're doing day to day. And I think the coach's role is to, for the first camp, guide that individual in a effective in a, in a as safe as can be an aware manner to the goal whilst escalating things in an appropriate manner across that timeline and then in the second example it's stripping everything back to almost find that set point of what do we actually need to make progress and then fixing those holes and weaknesses that were the first thing in 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 the first place that were denting their ability to to move their physique forwards
0: yeah that's actually a question i had in terms of like how many are relying on drugs despite They're like training and nutrition, like who aren't maximizing those inputs. And so that's great that you've kind of touched on that in that you do have those people who are abusing maybe one side of the equation and they haven't got the other side sorted. And when I'm thinking about naturals, the only thing uh, that you can do there is... Like the the person with holes, yeah, you can amend those and then they see better progress. But the other person who has everything right, it's just like the thing I always come back to is just time. Like that's the only thing a natural has. They just have to keep putting in that work over time, and eventually, like it will just accumulate. And uh, it's just like watching paint dry. I think you had
1: something there to say, didn't you, Joe? Well, I I think maybe also, and this is a real serious consideration for maybe new pros or lower level pros. You do also have those people that get in touch with you that are nailing absolutely everything, and they're taking pretty high milligrams of anabolics and, and considering or growth hormones or whatever it may be. And considering an into individual response, right? They they have some skews on their blood work that isn't good, or well, their echocardiogram isn't trending well. You know, they've got X reduction on ejection frac- uh, fraction each year or something like that, and you look and you go, there isn't anywhere to go. Um. And at that point, uh, I think you're probably cooked and you need to exit the sport or be happy with just where you are. Those people exist. Another thing I would say is, uh, because you mentioned those people that are like relying on the drugs. I would say that's true in technicality, but not knowingly. I've never met a pro that says, yeah, I'll just take as much gear as possible. And I don't really care about my diet and training. I just, you know, these people don't have this mindset, not at least what I've experienced. They might not be nailing what we consider to be optimal training or something like that, but they think it is, you know?
0: Yeah, I think that's fair. I think that's actually fair for training as a whole. Like, no one who wants to be the best bodybuilder they can be, like, whatever methodology you have, no one's, like, the evidence-based guys are looking at someone who's, like, I don't know, this uh, pro bodybuilding, be like, oh, he could do all these things better, he'd be so much better, and it's all ego that he's doing. It's like, I I don't know if it is all ego, if actually – part of them thinks everything they're doing is the most optimal way to grow or it's what they've always done and Mm. likewise the the guys leaving reps in reserve they're not like trying to make it easy for themselves they are trying to modulate fatigue and kind of escalate things in a more periodized way maybe to, to grow the best that they can like everyone's in here for the same reason for the same outcome and like you said joe Ultimately, when you actually zoom out, it's all very, very similar. Like even if you're saying high volume, low volume, high intensity, mm. like reps and reserve, it ends up when you zoom out being pretty similar. At least that's
1: what I've got from this discussion from you guys. I would say that's correct. Yeah, there's only fine nuanced details normally. In fact, you know what? One thing I would say in my experience, again, anyone listening to this, I'm only basing this on my personal experience with pros. One thing that they don't do that have benefited my clients or pros that train with my clients things like that greatly is structured periodization across a whole year across a whole macro cycle the periodization for a pro kind of traditionally ends up well i do an off season and then i do a prep Whereas we know if we dig into the sports science realm where you know maybe you would have this number of mesocycles and then maybe you'd need some kind of period of resensitization or maybe you'd want a maintenance phase here if there's blood work to correct and then maybe we put a mini cut in here for appetite purposes and stuff sometimes they accidentally fall into these realms but having that structure built in is highly productive physiologically but i've also found psychologically to have the essence of every phase specific goal laid out for the whole year is huge and that's something that in my experience pros haven't been doing i don't know if most people really factor in periodization but you know the first thing i write on any client's programming is a roadmap you know the whole phase periodization show calendar we've got these lined up here's the mesocycles that lead into there with every single phase specific goal whether it's specificity or whether it's this many weeks massing with this percentage rate of gain per week and then we've got the mini cut here and then we have active rest here having that all laid out for the individuals like whoa you know and it works yeah
0: it's what's the saying uh Fail to plan, uh, plan to fail—kind of one of those. And I guess you're just increasing people's ability to actually like succeed. And is that something you use as well, Kyle? You you have some form of like longer-term plan and vision to be able to get them to where you need to get them.
2: Yeah, for sure. You he just
0: are just mapping out a timeline.
2: I think most people that coach themselves or maybe they've they've come from other coaches, particularly. On a higher churn, maybe in the US or the or, or the Middle East, there's more of like an instinctual way of coaching maybe that's just taken on a week-to-week basis where you're just throwing out plans. And if you're coaching 500 people, then maybe 300 follow follow it and, and succeed and 200 don't. Um, In that regard, it will be the first time they've been exposed to longer-term planning, which I think is really important. And it also allows you to, from a coaching perspective, if you had a client that, you know, is in the process of trying to turn Pro in the in the NPC and they've got to do three, four, five shows or they're trying to qualify for the Olympia with no point system and now they have to win and they've got to do three, four shows or they have to split a year, you know into quarters where they compete at the start. they might have a recovery phase and they transition back in and compete towards the end of the year before the cutoff. Um, like we had several people do that last year for the Olympia and you know, a couple of them qualified, a couple of them didn't. you're you're having to plan further ahead than the actual week that you're on in that timeline so unless you know the proximity to the next landmark in the timeline it's really hard to actually take control of that in the first place and preempt the changes that are happening because nine times out of ten if the timeline's not there you get to a week and you and you think oh hang on a minute this should have been removed two weeks ago or i don't really have time to do this now or we probably in hindsight should have done that last month and we didn't whereas if we're acting in a way that we can preempt these things and look ahead everything just kind of slots into into a framework which i think is really really important especially when you're working with say if you've got 30 clients 40 clients 50 clients or even more it's impossible to to instinctually and and you know reactively coach that many people on the whim like it's got to be it's got to be pre-planned because as soon as you open up that file and you look at the timeline, bang, you're exactly in where you need to be. You can see, right, X week's out, we're in this position. These are the changes that need to happen. Send. If there's no context, then it's literally impossible to coach. Like I couldn't, I couldn't operate like that in the first place, let alone try and coach, you know, more people in that manner.
0: Yeah, that makes a ton of sense. And it makes a ton of sense again as and I've seen the same as a coach. People coaching themselves often don't have that longer term vision and they are on a week to week basis just going about things. And so when you like given that vision, it's like you said there, Joe, then they know, oh, like, uh, like uh, someone who's concerned about gaining too much body fat. It's like, oh, you. I've got a mini cut here. Oh, I'm, I'm happy accepting now I'm gaining for this time. I've got that mini cut. I'll come back leaner. Or I don't know, I'm worried I'm going to get too heavy in my off-season. I'm not going to be kind of lean enough for shows. It's like, hey, we've got this kind of pre-prep diet here. We're going to cut down. And then we've got this whole process in place. And yeah, it just gives the ability for someone to just focus on some kind of closer goal marks versus just off-season and stage it's like hey this this is a, a bit too broad of a, a horizon for me so that makes loads of sense i don't i think we have a little bit of time and i don't know how much there will be to say on this but we've talked quite a bit of training nutrition was mentioned i don't know what the general perception is of like how pros eat but i will guess it's like meal plan taking a tupperware out with you like chicken rice and broccoli like sticking to the to uh like a small number of list of foods not like a wide variety. Is that how most pros eat? And do you guys also coach your clients like that to maximize results? I don't know who wants to start. Joe?
1: <laughs> yeah, man, for sure. um So, what I've found with most pros is that they're incredibly autonomic, but relentlessly adherent. Oftentimes, they won't care about calories or macros or anything like that. Just give me my meal plan. I'll cook the food and I'll eat it. And on assessment, when you look at the foods, it does, I think things have changed more so over the last five years or so. And again, it's somewhat demographic. You do see a little bit more variability. It might be little subtle things like, oh, more people are having cereal post-workout, whereas that would have been a Cardinal Sin not very long ago, or, you know, maybe we have a a cookie pre-workout or something, you know, whereas, you know, if you're Dave Polcinello and the six foods that work or whatever it is, he'd be... He wouldn't be very happy with you for doing that, if anybody knows that reference. Um, So you do see it a little bit, but where the greatest disparity is, and this is especially pertinent to PED users, is one of your primary deleterious health costs as a PED user is oxidative stress. And the absolute best, I don't want to say safeguard, maybe the best attenuator of oxidative stress is obviously antioxidants, nutritionally. That's where bioavailability and efficacy is going to be highest. So the primary thing that needs to change with pros, I find, is nutrient density and variety. So getting their fruit, vegetable, protein source selection escalated above what they're currently doing. But you know what is so easy with these guys? It would never be, I don't want to eat that. You put it all on the meal plan, it's like, no problem. See you next week. And it just gets done. But that would be the, the primary thing, I would say. Awesome.
0: Yeah, that makes sense. Again, the effort, they're just robotic. And I I think similarly with a lot of the, like my day-to-day eating is just like pretty much the same because it's just like, hey, this needs to just tick a box because my goal of improving my physique is more important than any enjoyment I get out of various foods. Not that you can't enjoy your diet. Of course you can, and I do enjoy it. But like I don't need to have X, Y, and Z, just like simple, basic, the job almost like that machine which is the difference between more general pop versus people who are trying to become elite in this sport and but the micronutrient density and the nutrient density makes a ton of sense uh cow are, are you on similar thoughts
2: yeah 100 I, I i see there's particularly more so in the u.s as well where it's like a green shake and then like very small servings of veg across today or if any and it's just like a protein sauce and a potato sauce or a rice sauce or a cream rice sauce um for carbohydrate and i think like joe said the because i've i've followed a joe jeffrey diet before and i know there is some volume there in terms of color and variety and if you applied that to the general populace of the ifbb or mpc even in general it's going to be very different to a lot of people's diets there and i think joe's right in saying color and variety is something that you know i've had it before where people have sent me their their consultations of their diets and i'll send them back an initial plan they'll be like oh love the variety man i've never had this kind of stuff before i've never had these fruits before i've never had that amount of variety of uh free reign over vegetables or whatever it might be because it's just not a thing like it's just whatever they got in the past was just simplicity and the whole notion of simple works is like, yeah, it's good, but there's there, there's a difference between simplifying things and and not getting the most out of something. And I think the the fruit and veggie side is um is definitely a good argument there. Instead of just relying on the multivitamin or the greens formula, it's um it's something that we can ingrain in the diet, and it makes the process more enjoyable. Like if you can have color and variety and 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 flavor there instead of a a bowl of oats with some egg whites you're probably going to enjoy prep a little bit more as well
1: yeah, yeah i think that, that makes tons sense sorry Joe. Yeah, as well sorry steve i keep talking over you in this podcast man I, i'm going to put it down to internet lag anybody listening i promise i'm not rude um another thing worth mentioning is when you are dealing with really muscular guys with high calorie intakes like i mentioned james like we pulled like 15 pounds of body weight off him this year I don't think he got under 6,000 calories, man. That's a, that's a deficit thing. I mean, it might have been like 5,700 or something for a big push at the end prior to his surgery or something like that, you know. So they're eating a lot of food. And then you can't give these people kilos of non-starchy vegetables. And you can't give these guys really strict nutrient timing inputs. And it kind of goes out the window. You know, you're going to eat all your carbohydrates during in post-workout. <laughs> it's impossible. So you do have to kind of shift things around to maybe more starchy vegetables like beetroot and carrot and maybe more dried fruit and things like that. But, you know, you can use something like chronometer to make sure that you nail it. And this is another consideration. These guys don't have normal uh, vitamin, mineral, antioxidant intake targets because their oxidative stress is so high. Yes, they do have supplementary inputs, you know, but dietarily we want to take care of it primarily. So you have to get a little bit creative with your food sources to be able to nail those escalated requirements on somebody that's pushing that much food volume through them. On the flip side to that, a lot of guys don't realize when, you know, you look at the total amount of fiber, I've got clients that are eating 120, 140 gram fiber a day, no problem. Uh, One, it's an adaptive system. As you know, Steve, you know, uh, over time you can titrate up to that, but also a lot of these guys don't realize what correct soluble and insoluble fiber intake is going to do to like gastric transit rate, for example. You know, if anything, digestion improves off the bat, which is everything for these guys. Your ability to digest the food volume is everything. And it seems counterintuitive. And I mean, a lot of these guys are going to be using basal insulins, rapid-acting insulin analogs, so on and so forth, which assist in the process. But even so, there's a consideration that might not fit into a normal structure.
0: Yeah, no, that that makes so much sense. I feel bad ever complaining about having to push four thousand calories on a mass <laughs> when you know these these guys. I can't even imagine it. It's absolutely mad. But yeah, I've had to pull out those tricks and like the the, the fruit juices, the smoothies, the the like soups of blended vegetables, because uh, like you said, those become still important. You can't just drop those because. Well-being will drop off, digestion will drop off, like you said, health just won't be in a good place. And guys, I, I know we're on a bit of a time limit here and I just want to say a massive thank you. I think we actually covered this topic really nicely in a fairly short period of time. And of course, there's loads of like rabbit holes and things we could dig down. But uh, yeah, I think you guys did a fantastic job of basically laying the land of hey, what are the guys at the top of the game doing? Uh, how can even people who want to go there and get maximize their results, what can they do to improve what they're already doing? And maybe there's some people listening who are already doing everything they need to and it's more time or they need to talk to one of you guys about drug modulation or <laughs> some considerations in, in that regard. So thank you both for coming on. It's been a great chat. Um, Kyle, first of all, if people want to reach you and follow your work, where should they head? Romania at the moment mate <laughs> yes of course <laughs> um no just just type
2: in um team pro coach on instagram or www.teamprocoach.com um or just pro coaching youtube or google wherever you want to do it that just um comes up with our, our team and uh you can find us there
0: awesome i'll make sure that's linked below and uh, we'll have to do a solo one at some point as well and for yourself joe uh people probably already know but give a shout <laughs>
1: Yes, yeah, so if you guys want to find me on Instagram, it's at Joe underscore Physique Collective. I'm just going to briefly, shamelessly plug my app, where all of my educational content is at, and all of my team's educational content is at. It's only £9.99 a month, guys. And we, we've just got over like 250 hours of content or something on there. I've got over 2,000 replies on the Ask Joe and Ethan thread, so you can spend days digging through my responses to questions on there. I've got a research review thread. It's got tons of literature on there across everything that we've spoken about today. And actually tomorrow, but when you guys listen to this, it, it will already be released. Uh, I'm I'm launching my first ever ebook that I've ever written. And it's about Clembuterole. This is a drug that we use in bodybuilding, primarily with the goal of lipolysis, but it does a lot of other cool stuff as well that I've written about in the ebook. And that's only $19.99. It's everything you could ever want or need to know about Climbuterol broken down in real simple, easy to understand steps. So that's at physiquecollective.com if anybody wants to get their hands on that.
0: Awesome. Thank you much. Uh, Thank you so much, guys. Thank you guys for listening. And we'll catch you soon.
1: Take care. Thank you, Steve. Peace.
3: Losing weight fast while maintaining muscle mass sounds too good to be true, doesn't it? It isn't, though. It's reality, and we know how to do it, and we will help you achieve this. The Minicup Movement is an eight-week fat loss program to make you lose a huge chunk of fat while maintaining muscle mass at the same time. We will support you from the beginning to the end so that you see the results you would like to and come out of it much stronger. You'll receive a fully automated spreadsheet that is based on your nutritional needs. You can choose between six different male and female training templates. Over 30 videos will guide you through each and every single step of the mini-cut so that you're getting the most out of your journey and that you always know what to do. But the best thing is that you can start whenever you want. The mini-cut movement is open 24-7. So if you want to learn more or you're ready to sign up, hit the link in the description below. So let's revive stronger together.